you know, I think this is where it's important to highlight just how fast innovation is happening in the decentralized finance space. It's permissionless innovation, meaning that anyone anywhere in the world can create new products and services provided they have access to the internet. This is Open Out Crypto, a podcast exploring how blockchain and cryptocurrencies are shaping the financial markets of tomorrow. With your hosts, Rumi Morales and Colleen Sullivan. Hey everyone, welcome to Open Out Crypto, where we bridge the worlds of traditional finance with the emerging economies of digital assets, blockchain, and cryptocurrencies. I'm Rumi Morales. I am a partner at Outlier Ventures, a board member of a number of other blockchain funds. I've been in this space since 2013. Happy to share my thoughts with you. Hi, I'm Colleen Sullivan, CEO and co-founder of CMT Digital. Like Rumi, I've been in this space since 2013 and prior to that, a long career in traditional finance. Before we even begin, here's our obligatory disclaimer. The views Rumi and I share on the show are our own and not attributable to our respective firms and any other entities or projects we're involved with. Our firms may be investors or traders in some of the companies and projects we discuss on the show. Nothing we say should be considered as investment advice. And while we're always trying to be as accurate and timely as possible, sometimes we're wrong. You should always do your own research. Finally, I'm a lawyer, but not yours, and nothing I say should be construed as legal advice. So a lot going on as usual in the crypto markets room, too much to even keep up with, quite frankly. So I think we'll just stick to a couple of topics today that warrant closer examination. You know, really interesting to see what's gone on with Coinbase since the direct listing. And then in contrast, how Uniswap's been doing. It released its version three recently and some interesting things to look at there. And then, of course, the monster acquisition, Galaxy of BitGo. And then I think you've got a really interesting interview coming up, too. I do, with Illinois State Representative Margaret Croak and a bill that she has right now in the Illinois General Assembly on digital assets. So, Rumi, you had some some interesting thoughts on Coinbase when we caught up earlier this week. I have been thinking about Coinbase. I know a lot of people were talking about it when it went public a few weeks ago, and then... You know, the the new psycho moves on, but Coinbase is still public. And if you're looking at its stock performance since then, it's been steadily trending downward. And I've just been curious, you know, is this an indication of the health of the cryptocurrency industry at all? Or, you know, what is this signifying for everyone, especially who is taking this as some type of proxy of Bitcoin? I think we're, we're seeing something very different here. Yeah, I think it's a great point because when Coinbase had the direct listing, you know, it traded up around 80 billion. And now to your point, it's down around 51 billion. Mm-hmm. And is that indicative of the broader crypto market? Because we've seen the opposite happen in the crypto markets over the last month. Um, Ethereum's hitting new all-time highs. We've seen global market cap go from about two trillion to two and a half trillion. So what's going on? Why is Coinbase falling when the overall crypto markets are rising? And I also think it's interesting when you look at Coinbase, a centralized exchange versus Uniswap, a decentralized exchange. You know, and over the last month, Uniswap's governance token, Uni, is up about 30 percent. So, you know, to your point, what's happening here? I think it's worth noting, I guess, on a few fronts, people do recognize that Coinbase, I'm I'm thinking they're recognizing that Coinbase is not the proxy for the cryptocurrency markets. But if anything, it's led them to explore what else is out there. I've long thought, and I don't mean to be disparaging of Coinbase at all, they've been amazing pioneers in this space. But I've long thought of Coinbase as an AOL 
of sorts uh, from the internet era from 20 plus years ago. It used to be for people who thought they needed to access the internet, that meant getting a subscription to AOL and paying them a monthly fee in order to experience what the internet was all about. But we realized back then that AOL was really almost like a walled garden around the opportunities that the internet has. And for people who see Coinbase as a good gateway to the crypto markets, maybe now they're also discovering, hey, there's so much out there. And especially around the decentralized exchange landscape, these DEXs, as they're called, or they're often known as, you know, what, what is happening? And I think that the growth in Uniswap is really indicative of the power of this crypto market overall beyond just one company going public. And that's what you had said to me that really got me um, focused on digging in a little bit more when you compared Coinbase to AOL. I think maybe it would be helpful for the listeners if we talk a little bit about how Coinbase differs from Uniswap and the two different mm -hmm. structures and what we're seeing in terms of the growth. Um, so obviously with a centralized exchange like Coinbase, you generally deposit your fiat money and have the ability to purchase cryptocurrencies. And when you purchase crypto, you don't control it on a centralized exchange. You don't own the private keys to the funds, which means when you withdraw, you ask Coinbase or the centralized exchange to sign a transaction on your behalf. And when you're trading, those transactions are not occurring on chain. Instead, the exchange is allocating balances to users in its own database. The benefit there is that means that the slow speeds of blockchains don't impede trading and everything occurs in that single entity system. But that of course comes at the cost of independence. You need to trust the exchange with your money. And as a result, you expose yourself to counterparty risk. And to your point, just how different is that from the traditional financial system? You know, what if the team steals your Bitcoin? That can happen. What if a hacker steals the exchange's funds? That's happened in this space time and again with centralized exchanges. And as we know all too well, some exchanges say they have traditional insurance or they have internal insurance funds, but they don't come close to covering all of the exchange's balances. You know, but despite these issues, um, you know, for users, they deem this an acceptable level of risk and they try to stick to reputable exchanges like Coinbase um, with strong track records. I mean, maybe a reason for that is, I mean, let's be honest, Bitcoin can be really complicated for most people. And by enabling the entry into Bitcoin and crypto through a centralized system like Coinbase, that does lend a lot of familiarity and comfort to people as they as they get into this space. And it's funny because there's always been this interesting tension with the the original crypto crowd who feels like you must start with much more decentralization. But I I'm happy for Coinbase to be introducing people into the crypto world, but all the points that you raise about it being so super centralized must be taken into account. Uh, there are risks very much in, involved with in, engaging in centralized exchanges. It's funny because people think that the risks are in the decentralized side. They're not necessarily. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and there's definitely risks with decentralized systems too. But, you know, you think about Uniswap and what's revolutionary about it is that it's decentralized. So let's talk a little bit about what that means. You know, that means that all transactions occur on chain. So every order, every alteration, every cancellation is written directly to the blockchain, which is much more transparent and does eliminate counterparty risk. At the same time, it can be slow and inefficient. That said, we're seeing rapid improvements in this area with various layer two scaling solutions. So I don't really expect that to be something we grapple with 
in the mid to long term. So Uniswap is a decentralized protocol that's built on Ethereum. And to be more precise, it's an automated liquidity protocol. And that means there's no order book or centralized party required to make trades. Instead, Uniswap works with a model that involves liquidity providers creating liquidity pools. And that system provides a decentralized pricing mechanism that essentially smooths out order book depth and users can seamlessly swap between ERC-20 tokens without the need for an order book. And because the Uniswap protocol is decentralized, there's no listing process, which is really, you have to think about this, right? That means that anytime a new asset is created on Ethereum, a new market can be created on Uniswap by depositing that new asset along with any other crypto asset. So if a user wants to create a market for some new DeFi governance token, all they do is deposit that new asset alongside USDC, for example, and a market is created. And then the smart contract manages the market making for you and automatically adjusts the price and rebalances as trades happen. I know right now our listeners aren't able to see us, but I've got a big smile on my face and I would encourage everyone to replay what Colleen just said again and again to fully absorb the almost revolutionary aspect here that we're talking about in terms of the changes to our financial system with automated liquidity provision on chain that's transparent to everyone with no order book with automated pricing it's just it's very unlike anything we've ever seen before i personally am always a little bit hesitant to talk about revolutions when it comes to finance and financial trading but what's important here is i think the decentralized aspect of the uniswap protocol is completely changing how we think about financial infrastructure and we need to be comfortable with this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it, to take it even a level deeper, you know, what this structure provides is liquidity for what we call the long tail of crypto assets. So right now it's kind of unbelievable, but there's over 35,000 trading pairs on Uniswap with about 200 pairs being created each day. Whereas Coinbase supports 108 different crypto assets. And I love this. So Hayden Adams, who created the Uniswap protocol, calls Uniswap user-generated content for liquidity. So Uniswap would be analogous to YouTube, with Coinbase being analogous to Netflix. Well, meaning meaning like anybody can put anything on YouTube, but Netflix is going to curate the content for you and choose it for you. You're absolutely right. Anyone can be a YouTube producer, a YouTube performer, but not anyone can just be a Netflix producer or Netflix performer, unless you're Barack Obama, but I guess he's not just anyone either. Right? Yeah. And then, you know, I do think it's important that we acknowledge the regulatory environment, right? Because the regulatory environment for decentralized exchanges is really unclear. So unlike a, regula a regulated exchange like Coinbase, there's no KYC or AML on DEXs. So my MetaMask wallet is my login into that ecosystem. And we've wondered for a while if the SEC, especially under new Chairman Gensler, will look at assets trading on Uniswap, declare many if not most of them securities, and try to say that Uniswap should be a registered exchange, like the New York Stock Exchange. But how would the SEC do that? You know, I mentioned Hayden, Hayden Adams previously. If the SEC went to Hayden and asked him to shut down Uniswap, his response would be, I can't. You know, maybe he could shut down one of the trading interfaces, but he can't shut down the smart contracts that make Uniswap work. And even if it shuts down one interface, there's 30 or 40 more out there and new interfaces can be spun up really quickly. 
So I think the argument that Uniswap ultimately will try to make is that it's essentially a public good, like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Or stated differently, Uniswap is just another piece of infrastructure that people can build on. And just like the internet, sometimes people are going to build legal things on it, and sometimes people are going to build illegal things on it. But you just don't have any control. I think we're seeing something similar here as well with Ripple and the SEC. Look, there is no American protocol. There is no American internet. We're talking about global protocols and global peer-to-peer solutions here. And so whatever the SEC might determine Uniswap and their assets to be outside the United States, it still exists, right? Uniswap is global. All these technology protocols are global. How do you shut it down? How do you regulate something uh, so revolutionary as this? It's really challenging, you know, or do you go after the issuers of the tokens that are being traded on Uniswap? Do you go after the traders? Do you go after retail people? I mean, these are really complicated things because you can't shut these systems down. You know, and I haven't given this enough thought yet, so I'm curious what you think. But um, obviously, the Uniswap code is all open source. I would think Coinbase could pretty easily spin up a regulated exchange on the Uniswap infrastructure. That wouldn't maybe be a big change in the assets that are available for US users, but at least everything would be on change on chain. And then if you go outside of the United States, you know, Coinbase could probably have hundreds of different tokens that would be available to non-US users because they're under a different regulatory regime. Again, at least that would bring transparency. But Rumi, you and I know we've been around this space long enough to know that Coinbase sort of tried this, right? They acquired Paradox in mid, I think it was May of 2018. And, and Paradox was a decentralized exchange. And I think that that was, you know, Brian Armstrong's idea at that time that they could have hundreds of tokens available for non-US users, but they kind of quietly shut Paradox down. Now, I think that could be due to a number of factors, right? They, they acquired Paradox in the middle of a brutal bear market that lasted for two years. I think there was still so much regulatory uncertainty. And frankly, I think we needed the DeFi summer of 2020 to happen to even bring all of this to bear in the first place. So Rumi, you know, I think this is where it's important to highlight just how fast innovation is happening in the decentralized finance space. It's permissionless innovation, meaning that anyone anywhere in the world can create new products and services provided they have access to the internet. So think about this, Coinbase has over 1,200 employees. And the last time I checked, Uniswap has 13. 13, right? And there are days where Uniswap does more volume than Coinbase, right? I mean, it's really remarkable. You have to change the way you think about not just financial institutions and systems, but the people obviously who engage with them employees and employee compensation and what makes people want to work with as opposed to work for something or an organization. Uniswap is definitely an emerging model, which I will say, however, is not unique for any of us in the decentralized space. We know that there's so many other emerging protocols and technologies and institutions and initiatives that are based on a decentralized fashion but I almost feel like we're working in a parallel universe where most of the media attention and mainstream focus on on things like Coinbase and really everyone should be paying attention to Uniswap, DEXs, and the decentralized universe. 
Couldn't agree more. So on that note, let's talk about BitGo. Galaxy announced that they were acquiring BitGo for over a billion dollars. I have to say, I'm so excited about this. And you have to, you may ask, well, why am I excited when I was just here evangelizing the beauty of decentralized systems? But part of me just is really happy to see that the, the development of digital finance going the other direction now into more traditional institutions. Look, everyone's not going to just be able to wrap their heads around DEXs, decentralized exchanges. Not everyone's ready or capable to go into decentralized finance. But Galaxy Digital and BitGo have been very, very early pioneers in this space of taking uh, somewhat traditional institutional models in the financial services room and making it completely focused on digital assets instead. Galaxy Digital, for a long time, has been trying to, I feel I feel like I can say this being a former Goldman Sachs person, be like the way Goldman Sachs used to be, but in purely digital form, right? Offering things from investment banking services and capital market services, and obviously now by acquiring BitGo, having a strong player in the custody space for digital assets, and they're just really becoming, I think, a very solid new type of digital investment bank that Goldman Sachs would have been uh, 100 years ago if they had cryptocurrency 100 years ago. You know, obviously, Galaxy is using a more traditional model in terms of how finance and financial institutions are being developed. But I can't help but feel kind of proud of their development over time. And the same goes with BitGo. As we know, this is not an easy industry to go after, not just um, changing the financial and services world, but utilizing cryptocurrency. And there have been lots of ups and downs uh, for these firms and Galaxy Digital in particular. And it's just good to see them kind of reemerging even stronger and now preparing for a U.S. public listing. I don't know, Colleen, though, if, if you share similar thoughts of pride and happiness with uh, Galaxy and BitGo, even though they aren't the decentralized model that we were just talking about. Oh, for sure. No doubt about it. And, you know, I think that Mike Novogratz and Mike Belshi have really persevered. Yeah, Mike Novogratz being the head of Galaxy Digital and Mike Belshi being the head of BitGo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've definitely both um, seen a couple of cycles of these crypto markets and they've just hung in there and now they're thriving. And all the credit to both of them. I think they're outstanding founders and I can't wait to see where they go from here. You know, and as you mentioned, while I'm so excited about what we're seeing in decentralized finance, I'm also a realist. And I'm not one of you know these people that think we're going to end up with an entirely decentralized marketplace or an entirely centralized marketplace. I think we're going to have a spectrum. And how you're regulated, sort of where you sit, um, is going to depend on where you play across that spectrum. You know, like we touched on briefly, you see where you can have a decentralized system you can put permission liquidity pools on top of that, right? And that's going to allow, hopefully, you know, managers, you know, in charge of third party assets, the ability to come into DeFi. But right now, the, you know, the structure is not there for fiduciaries of other people's assets to go in and, you know, trade on Uniswap. Uh, that, that's not going to happen. And that's why we need to have a spectrum. It's just the reality of the system in which we live. Right. And you've mentioned regulation and regulatory issues before. We, we cannot, you know, we cannot ignore them, nor legislators for that matter, and people writing laws uh, to support the development of crypto assets. And it's much easier to get a bill passed. It's much easier to understand what needs to be done to drive greater adoption of crypto assets through more traditional 
models, uh, although I don't really want to call, you know, the, the Galaxy, Bitco, anything like a traditional investment bank. But like I was saying before, it's a new model of a digital investment bank. And I, I believe that, to your point, where there is a spectrum that's needed. It's also needed for regulatory and legal clarity and legislative clarity. So very happy to see this environment evolving in this. Well, fashion. and I loved what you said about um, earlier about, you know, that sort of being the gateway. Coinbase is the gateway or sort of the Trojan horse then into mm -hmm. DeFi. Right. And hopefully that's, you know, so you start off with a little bit of BitGo and Galaxy and then all of a sudden you've got your MetaMask and that's your, you know, entry point into the decentralized ecosystem. It is my pleasure to welcome Margaret Croak to our podcast today. Margaret is a Democratic member of the Illinois House from the 12th District. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I would love to hear your journey, uh, how you became uh, interested in politics, plus throwing blockchain and crypto into the mix. So I, I started in politics because that actually is just where I started my career out of school. I graduated the University of Michigan and I came home to Chicago. I'm a native Oak Parker, um, if anyone is familiar with the, the Chicago suburbs. Uh, but I started in Cook County Commissioner Gaynor's office, who's still my commissioner. I went to, um, from there I went to various campaigns. I worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign, um, Governor Pritzker's campaign. I worked in Mayor Rahm Emanuel's office. And then uh, I ended up at the Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. Um, I decided to run when I was eight months pregnant, uh, which was a little oh, wow. bit, <laughs> yeah, which was a little bit crazy, but Democratic politics in the city of Chicago, um, the situation is basically if uh, if someone is getting promoted or they are retiring, you have to run when you can. My predecessor had been there for 26 years, so I jumped at the opportunity. And I, I did it because I, when I worked for Commissioner Gaynor, I got really addicted to constituent services, which is, is a weird thing to get addicted to, but you realize when you're talking to people and you make their day just a tiny bit better or you're able to knock down a barrier and they're able to access the services that we offer, it just keeps you going, even though all the other calls are just yelling at you about things right. like property taxes, things you can't control. But the few times you can help someone, it's just the best feeling. And I, I wanted to be able to do that for my entire career. So uh, I, I knew I wanted to get into this this sphere at some point. And um, to your question about blockchain, um, I got approached about blockchain and cryptocurrency from one of my really good friends who's actually the director of banking for Illinois. Um, I'm happy to get into to that story, but I also, uh, I was not naturally thrown into the blockchain world. I, I kind of got pushed into it, but I'm very happy I got pushed into it. That's really interesting for me in particular that you got pushed into it happily uh, by someone still from the government side, right? So it's not like you were hanging out at crypto conferences or anything like that, mining your own Bitcoin somewhere. But it's nice <laughs> to see the influence spreading more largely amongst government officials as well. So your election was very recent, right? It was just 2020? 
yeah. that you were elected. Mm-hmm. And one of the first bills, though, that now you are sponsoring in the House is about digital assets. Yes. Yeah, so the first bill I presented to committee was in financial institutions, which I'm happy to vice chair. Um, so I'm glad the bill went there. Um, but it is it's it's establishing a special purpose trust company. And what that does is it creates a uh, new charter for Illinois um, where a charter can hold uh, crypto assets. But what is I think really special about this charter versus somewhere like um, Wyoming that has something similar is that we have different foundational banking regulations and rules. And the, the legislation itself is actually quite short. It just allows for this charter to be created. Um, but we can leverage our existing banking laws to do some things that are not included in Wyoming, like you know, look at potentially partnering with an existing banking institution and do lending or transfers, just those um, those services that we want from um, any type of uh, charter, even if it's fiat currency or it's uh, crypto. Right. So where is the bill right now? Is it still going through the House? Yes. So what's great is it passed unanimously out of committee with bipartisan support. And I had been told three weeks later by the chair, had I told him this was going to move, he would have thought it would have failed. Um, So there was a lot of hustling that happened. Uh, It passed unanimously. So now it's on what we call the consent calendar, which is like an agreed bill list. So we will vote on that a a agreed bill list and then it will move to the Senate where my um, my Senate sponsor is the president pro tem, Senator Cunningham, who is also very excited about this bill. I think it's got some really great momentum and I feel I feel very positive about it. So it'll be passed by both chambers. by the end of May, because that's when session ends. Uh, You mentioned Wyoming, and I was just wondering where you think Illinois ranks amongst all states right now trying to lead in blockchain. If I was looking at Illinois as an entire, the entire state and comparing it to other states, I would say we are in the top three. Um, That's because when I think of somewhere like Florida or Miami, it really is more just Miami that's having this conversation. And that's wonderful. However, you know, Miami is only a city and they don't have control over all their regulations, their state regulations, and something like banking and creating a charter system needs to be done at the state level. Um, Wyoming is leading or has led on this issue, but I love Wyoming. It's a beautiful state, but Wyoming is not Illinois or Chicago. We have this base of financial services and a history and a background and a, just a, a burgeoning um, industry around this. So um, I, I think Illinois is, is pretty on top of things right now. I, I selfishly would agree with you. I'm sure there might be some New Yorkers and Californians and others you know, listening in who might disagree. So I guess I'd ask then if you are a blockchain startup or a crypto startup, why would you want to be based in Illinois as opposed to the coast or someplace where, from a federal standpoint, 
the regulatory environment is clearer. So two things there. Um, I think that we are establishing a very clear regulatory environment in Illinois, and I think that's the most important thing. Stability above everything else, whether it's tax incentives, whether it's um, the the actual environment in which you're in, so you know that there are other companies similar to you. The most important thing to me is stability, so you know what to expect. Um, and I think Illinois is getting to that point with a regulatory environment. And this is our first smoke signal. We are signaling to everyone that we are having conversations with people. You have access to legislators. You have access to the Department of Banking. And we are going to be adding experts in crypto to the Department of Banking. So that's that's the first is stability um, and the communication from both government and industry. And the other is our workforce. Um, I am so proud of our university system in Illinois. We have one of the, we have the best, en- I mean, I would say best engineering school, but I think technically it's ranked fourth. Um, who does those rankings anyway? Uh, the fourth best engineering school at U of I. <laughs> We've got places like the Research Park at University of Illinois, which are um, kind of doing these incubator type startups. Um, our incubator system is very, very strong. And then we have University of Chicago, plus our other state universities. So this workforce pipeline is just very, very strong, as well as Discovery Partners Institute. I mean, the list kind of keeps going and going. Without question, you know, the state of Illinois has a lot of advantages. Uh, I'm curious, though, putting it into context of the United States, as we know, blockchain is not bound by any boundaries, and the race for success and the opportunities are global. Uh, as someone who worked on presidential campaigns, I was wondering if you had a view of what type of leadership should be coming from the federal government, right? If you were to ask President Biden about Bitcoin, how would he answer? How would you want him to answer? When it comes to the federal government, I'm looking for an open conversation right now. We've just had a change in administration, so how they feel about the technology is not completely clear to me yet. Um, but I think that there's more room to start that. And I imagine with an, with a Biden administration, they're going to be looking at what states are doing. I've always found in government, it's about what the state does first. And then usually the federal government follows because the states, and we are risk averse, but we are not as risk averse as the federal government. So it takes a state deciding we're going to own this, we're going to see what works, what doesn't work at our state level. And then the federal government will tend to emulate what the state has done right. Um, I know that on the government side of things that Chase Rowinkle, who I mentioned, director of banking, is having conversations with um, his counterparts at the federal level as well as the FDIC and has been very surprised about how receptive they have been to some of his suggestions and things that could be done at a federal level. So I, overall, I, I'm happy to hear that the conversation is at least started because I think had you brought this conversation five years ago, the gut reaction would just be, well, let's just shut it down. I, I truly think that it would have been shut it all down because Uh, isn't this being used for nefarious activities? We don't have any control over it. Um, How is this going to affect our fiat currency? And that's that's not really how the dialogue is going anymore. And that's very encouraging to hear from someone on the ground uh, in in the government like you. Uh, You mentioned that 
that the, the, the state was looking at bringing in crypto-focused people in within the government. What other plans do you and your colleagues have to support blockchain and crypto aside from this bill? And on a scale of one to ten, how hopeful are you for for Illinois to to lead as a center of blockchain and crypto development in in the country? Well, for me, I will I will just throw this out there that I am the last part of the chain when it comes to an idea coming to fruition. So it's important to do things like this where I have relationships with you, Rumi, and I have relationships with your listeners and other organizations around blockchain and crypto who can tell me as someone in the industry the struggles that they're facing on a regulatory or um, government barrier type um issue or anything like that where they can come to me and say, Margaret, this is something that we've recognized. This is our problem. This is what we're thinking solution-wise. Do you think that we could get this done at a state level? Um, because I'm your salesperson in a way. And and I say that to just share or explain that when you come to me with an idea, the first thing I have to do is I go to all the organizations that I think are going to be opponents to it. And I talk to them and I tell them why they should not be scared of this legislation. This happened with the Illinois bankers and the community bankers. Uh, We thought they were going to be opponents to this bill, but because of the dialogue I had with them and constant communication over the past couple months, they actually came out as proponents, which is unheard of really for the bankers because they hate new charters. Um, And then I also have to educate my colleagues. And you can imagine, I'm sure in your day-to-day conversations with people who don't understand blockchain or crypto, that education barrier or that gap is the hardest thing to fill. So I spend most of my time getting um, a base level understanding of the technology, why this is good, what I need to sell to my various members to get it passed, and then I work the bill on my end. When I'm thinking about, so I don't have any concrete ideas for what is next, but the things that I'm interested in that I'll tell you if I can throw it out to the universe and maybe someone will come back and return something to me, is I am interested in medical records on the blockchain. That's mostly because we've seen um, that hospitals have had their medical records held for ransom. Mm -hmm. And I think a decentralized system would be uh, great for protecting that information, that that private information of our of their patients and, you know, of our my constituents in Illinois. And I'm curious to see how a a vaccination passport would work on a blockchain network. And then there's this whole other component that you are also passionate about, which is equity. And how do we really tap into the equity components of crypto and blockchain Mm -hmm. for the underbanked and the unbanked? And um, how do we serve this population that has been traditionally kept out of the financial services industry? Um, So that's where like my heart is. And I understand this first bill is just the start and maybe doesn't address all of those things. But I'm hoping, again, Illinois leading on one thing is the first step and we can really keep going on this trajectory. 
Absolutely love it, Margaret. Thank you so much for your thoughts and your initiative here. It's also good, I think, for people to be aware that Governor J.B. Pritzker, prior to becoming governor of Illinois, was in the venture capital space supporting technology entrepreneurs for years. And he also helped launch a number of technology initiatives and some focus on financial technology. I can I can speak to that because I was part of that. Um, so you're also talking about a governor who understands financial innovation and technology entrepreneurship overall. So Margaret, we're going to end our conversation here, but I'm going to test some of your uh, rapid fire crypto chops and just throw out some questions at you if you're ready. Um, would you like to try that? I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. You get to choose one. Dogecoin or Bitcoin Cash? I'm going to go with Bitcoin Cash only because I have been told that you don't invest or pick a crypto without knowing the background or the white paper on it. And Bitcoin Cash is of those two I have my background on. So I'm trying to follow I'm trying to follow industry expertise there. That's good. Yeah, I'm not sure you necessarily want to know the genesis story of Dogecoin, um, but you can uh, entertain yourself by looking that up one day. Okay, question two. NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are they going to crash and burn or are they to the moon? I think that there's probably a middle. And I, that's just because of, I think, of the history of, of Bitcoin. Everyone thought, okay, it's either to the moon or crash and burn. And I think we've seen that it fluctuates. So I'm going to go with, I'm, I'm going to choose the politician answer on this and say it's, it's going to be somewhere in the middle. <laughs> okay. I, I will accept that. I'll accept Thank that. Thank you. Um, final question on pizza, deep dish or tavern style? Tavern style. I am a proud Chicagoan. The one thing you will see me uh, disown in Chicago is the deep dish pizza. As you see, I, I, Rumi, I know our viewers can't see this, but I have a Chicago flag uh, behind me at all times. So very proud Chicagoan, just not a deep dish pizza lover. What I find fascinating is most Chicagoans would completely agree with you. I, I don't find so many people eating deep dish, but for those who don't know, tavern style is like this really thin crust pizza, almost like a cracker, and it's cut into square shapes, even though the, the, the pizza itself is circular. And this is what you see everywhere at office parties, hanging out with your friends. Like this is, this is Chicago pizza to me. I don't know what this deep dish casserole is all about, but uh, I also just say that as, you know, someone who prefers anything but deep dish, to be honest <laughs> with you. Anyway, sorry. Uh, we That's where the opinions really come out, is like when we're talking about these these uh, deep dish pizza, Cubs, socks, like it's not about crypto anymore. It's about like, which team are you on? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I think once you're a believer in the crypto space, you'll take all crypto. But when it comes to pizza or baseball teams, you're going to take one side for sure. Of course. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for your leadership as well. You know, Illinois was a very early leader amongst states in this space, and it's wonderful to see you take this mantle forward and continue to drive for opportunities for our entrepreneurs, like you said, for equity as well, for opportunities for everyone who wants to participate in this beautiful blockchain and crypto landscape of ours. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. With that, we're going to wrap up our podcast for this week. Thank you to all who are listening right now. Colleen Sullivan, who is my fearless partner here, uh, is also the CEO of CMT Digital. 
one of Chicago and the nation's most important crypto investing and trading firms. I'm also a partner at Outlier Ventures, which has two programs um, amongst other activities. One is called Basecamp, which is an early stage accelerator for DeFi, NFT, Web3 projects, always looking for new and exciting companies that are seeking to have investments. So please try to reach out to me at Outlier if you're interested and our other programs called Ascent. It's for perhaps later stage companies also looking for assistance on token design, launch and community development. Colleen, any last words that you'd like to share? Yeah, no, likewise. I mean, people can definitely find me at CMT Digital. You know, we've been in the space for about eight years, and we have a proprietary trading desk where we're trading globally on crypto spot and derivatives exchanges, both centralized and decentralized. We also have a very active venture team. We've invested in over 50 portfolio companies in the crypto blockchain space, and we are actively looking for more. So please reach out if you're working on something that is exciting. We'd love to hear about it. Um, lastly, we are co-founders of the DeFi Alliance. We co-founded this um, with Jump and DRW Cumberland and Volt Capital. And the DeFi Alliance will be accepting its fourth cohort of companies in May. You can go to defialliance.co to apply. And thank you all for joining us. Thanks for listening to Open Out Crypto. Please reach out to us on Twitter at Open Out Crypto and by email at info at openoutcrypto.com. Check out our website for show notes and other information about the show, our hosts, and our guests. Thanks for listening.